Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Good evening, folks. Welcome to another episode of Lori's Talk News Radio. It is Wednesday, March the 4th, 2015. We've got Alan Bailey on with us again, and he's been... Uh, doing a series on restoring biblical church and he uh recently finished up his uh the commands of christ series and he and i had kind of like an open mic dialogue that i, I thought was great i actually like those it's kind of like what uh, dr heiser and i did i think sometimes those make some of the best radio uh, nothing against some of these series because they're very informative and stuff but i, I think sometimes that really gets into some stuff but this evening he's gonna gonna do one. He had a couple options, and uh, and the one that he's decided he's gonna do is the sovereignty of God. And uh, Alan, before I before I bring you up and and stuff, you know, one one of the things that gets me with the sovereignty of God, specifically having dealt with hyper Calvinism and all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, I I think that's another one where we we kind of tend to get wrapped around the axle. I, I would not even presume to question God's sovereignty. But I also know that that sovereignty is tempered by by uh, justice and, and, and love and that type of thing. And, and, and one of the things I find with his sovereignty is that, that, that a lot of times it seems like that, you know, with the hyper-Calvinist, that if you don't believe, you know, in, in, in irresistible grace, your tulip and all this kind of stuff, that somehow you're questioning God's sovereignty. No, it's just I know the God I believe in did not create automaton or robots. But anyway, that being said, thanks for joining us again, and I uh, hope everything's going well for you. Uh, yeah, things are going real good, and thanks for having me again. And I agree with you about what you said, the sovereignty of God. If if we uh, take it from a uh, hyper-Calvinistic uh, standpoint, uh, that's just uh, basically... Uh, predeterminism, uh, predestination, basically that God God controls everything and uh, man doesn't really have uh, too much free will in the process. And I don't believe that. I, I really appreciated uh, the call you had the other night with uh, Michael Heiser, and I agreed with what he said about it, that, that uh, the game that God is playing, kind of, that God set up, it's, it's not really a game, but I, this is the figure, the illustration I use, is that it's like a, it's like a huge chess, chess game, except the, the uh, pieces, the chess pieces, are all living, living human beings with free will. And so the the challenge to God is to convince people to do his will without forcing them to do his will. God doesn't force us. He doesn't rape us. He doesn't coerce us into, into doing his will. And this is one thing I've said before, and it's one thing I, I would encourage people to chew on quite a bit, 
And that is your concept of the kingdom. If you believe that the kingdom is still in the future and it's coming when Jesus returns, he's going to set up his kingdom in Jerusalem and rule for a thousand years, I would, I would encourage you to chew on how that's going to work. How is that going to work? Is Jesus going to come by with by force and set up his kingdom by force and everybody is going to have to serve him or else? Is that what the kingdom of God is like? And I would say absolutely not. Why would Jesus do that? Because that's totally against everything that he has revealed about himself so far. Go ahead. Well, a couple things uh, before we get too far off that. It's interesting you word that the way you did because I think a lot of people read that verse about ruling with a rod of iron, and they think that's exactly what's going to happen. But, Michael, i got to tell you, since you brought him up, kind of freaked me out, and and I had to pause for a moment when he was talking about the, the kingdom and the millennium as two separate things, because I think, you know, we we, we talk about this with the kingdom, and I think, again, and I'm guilty of it here, too, where we marry these things that are not necessarily uh, married together. And and one other thought I want to, because you you mentioned this about this this game, this chess game, and like Michael was talking about, you know, one of the things, I remember when I was a baby Christian, started reading the scriptures, and I I read in the book of Job, primarily, there's, there's other places, but it, it it almost seems like that there's this deal between God and Lucifer slash Satan, and I, I I've kind of come to look at it as a as a severance pay, if you will. You know, I mean, basically Lucifer was some worshipful master. It would appear specifically with music. It talks about his tabernacle, blah blah blah, all kinds of theories about that. But when, when he fell, and, and, and the Lord says, Thou wast perfect in all thy ways till in the day iniquity was found in thee. And it's, it's almost like this sense of separation that there's this, this God is honoring his part of the deal is, is how I see it. Now, I'm not going to get wrapped around the axle and break fellowship, but it, it seems like that there's this, this, this push-pull. I, 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 pulled it a, I called it a tug of war where, you know, you know even there in Job where, where, where you know, Satan says, well, just let me touch his, his goods. Let me touch his flesh, and he'll curse you to your face. And it's almost like that is going on on, on a grander scale, and we are kind of in, in the middle, choose you this day whom ye shall serve. So, yeah. so that's kind of how I see it, and I've really run in nothing in Scripture that, though I couldn't elaborate much more than I just did, that would lead me to believe any, anything different. That, then, that there's some kind of arrangement, whatever ever exactly it is like that. That's what I conceive, too. That's what, and uh, what Michael Heiser uh, shared the other night about his, his conception of it. It's very much like, like what I have, is that it's, a, uh, it's kind of that kind of a deal where God is honoring his, these are the rules that God, this is God's character, this is, God's uh, arrangement here, and this is how he's going to rule the world. He's going to do it uh, through persuasion. You have to, here's the, the game is that they have to persuade people to do their, their bidding, their will. 
And so Satan goes down and does he does anything. I mean, he he'll use any kind of tactic to get people to do his will. He'll kill them or steal them or steal what they have or lie to them. And yet God is confined to doing it according to his character. And the game is is like I mean what what Michael Heiser said the other night was well which which would be greater to you? Which would be more awesome to you? That God just comes down in force and totally smashes all of his enemies, gets rid of them, and sets up his kingdom, and he's so powerful there that people are trembling in terror, and and they just do it because of uh, of his power. Or like he's doing it, like he's done it through history, of persuading people through his truth, through his love, through over time, through his, you know, his, what he reveals to us. This is, and to me, that's more, far more awesome that God would uh, restrain himself, condescend and restrain himself to that, and this is how he, what he wants, he doesn't want, uh, you know, uh, terrified slaves. He wants children. He wants well, us to be his children and love him and respond to him like we want our children to respond to us, to grow up and to maintain and to respect us and to, you know, that's the concept I have about God. Go ahead. Well, you know, just on 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 the the surface of what you just said and reiterating what 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 Michael had said, that makes a lot more sense to me, especially just period. But especially with what I understand of the Lord out of the out of the scriptures, because you know, if, if He came down just in His sheer terrifying might, you know, the Scripture tells us that there's nothing that corrupteth is going to enter into heaven. Well, if you just terrify a bully because you just got this overwhelming power, yep, they're going to cringe and cower for a little bit and capitulate, but that corruption's still there. So it doesn't yeah. even make any sense from a biblical perspective that it would be based on, on you know, the former rather on the latter. I mean, they're going to, you know, he says to choose, not I'm going to intimidate you. I mean, th- this is why, and, and one of the things Michael did in one of his, he says, I'm going to use the O word. And then when he said the O word was ordained, I realized he's as cautious with that word as I am. I, people throw that ordained of God around so flippantly, like yeah. anything and everything that happens is ordained of God. And, and I yeah. don't know where this, this notion, does God have a plan? Don't, don't doubt that for a moment. But, but is he micromanaging everything? And I think you brought up last week, maybe it was, where... You know, or maybe it was Michael. I, I I don't know. You guys are such great speakers, and it just kind of all melds together with me. But they, yes, he he. If you're not going to be a willing vessel, he'll go to another vessel that is to get done what you were supposed to do. This to That's me right. is where all this with obedience comes in. And when you put this in the scripture, it says all things work together for good. Now I can't totally wrap my mind around that, and I don't think anybody else really can either. But but the point is. Is, yes, it, 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 it's going to happen, but it's not that he controls every single thing that we think, do, or say, throughout, because if that was the case, we're just 
by deception automatons. And, and that right. is not a God that I, I believe in, and that's not what I read of the God of the Scriptures. That's right. That's what that, I agree exactly with that. And that's a good introduction to what I'm going to read tonight and uh, talk about. I've been thinking about this. I've been chewing on this the last couple of weeks, uh, and especially probably after uh, on my call that I do whenever I have some time. I do. I've been reading uh, this uh, book. It's called The Grand Design Exposed that Walt uh, recommended to me, and we had a good discussion about on that one one uh, a couple of times and. And I've, what I've been really thinking about is that is that there are different ways, different, I don't know what would be, theories of history, maybe. And there is what the alternative, the alternative media constantly presents to us, just about most of it uh, that we listen to, a conspiracy view of history, a conspiracy view of history. And that is that uh, that you know there's this there's this deep dark uh, group of powerful people, powerful that are kind of in league. Uh, they're doing Satan's bidding. The Bible refers to these as the principalities and powers and the rulers in heavenly places. That there is some kind of interaction between the the uh, the Satan and uh, these people, and they are they are so powerful. They rule the world, and we don't really know what's going on, but we kind of can put together some of the pieces of what's going on. And so let's keep looking at the pieces. Let's keep looking and trying to figure out who's doing this or what all's happened in history by this uh, shadow government or this. Uh, evil, you know, the rulers of evil and what they're doing. And let's just really focus on that and keep keep trying to focus on that. And the implication, the presumption that is never really stated as such, the presumption is that if you expose this group, that will that will wake people up and, and it'll go away or something. We'll be able to overcome it or something, kind of. And yet they never say that, and there's never any strategy to to combat this. Not very much. Not not very much. It's just a very a hopeless, defeatist attitude. These people are so big, so powerful. They have so much money. They control the armies of the world. They control everything. Oh my, we're we're in trouble. Let's let's go get a bunker somewhere and hunker down. And that's kind of what you get in in most uh, of the alternative media and uh, the prophetic, the dispensational futurist uh, prophetic concept of what's coming at us. And what that does to you emotionally is that it's focusing on the enemy so much that it gives the enemy power over you. It gives the enemy power to depress you, to defeat you without firing a shot. He's already got you. 
because um, you're you're already defeated in your mind. Go ahead. Well, I'll use a, a a gentler analogy than I've used before, especially off off air, because it, what you're describing is absolutely so frustrating. If you you know you know in in grade school people would chew their gum and they'd take it out of their mouth and they'd stick it up underneath the desk. It, yeah. It's as though what you're talking about with these evil, wicked things, a scorpion does what a scorpion does. It's like we're saying, that's a piece of gum under there. And we we, we nudge the person next to us, look at that, that that's a piece of, somebody stuck it, Billy pulled his gum out of it and it stuck it up there. And in the whole class, and they're all concurring, yes, that's a piece of gum. And you know what, at the end of the day, it's a piece of gum stuck underneath the desk, and it's still a piece of gum underneath the desk. When everybody concurs, it's a piece of gum stuck underneath the desk, and until somebody grabs it and pulls it off, it's still a piece of gum stuck underneath the desk. But we yeah. sit here trying to convince the entire world, and want the entire world to go, look at that piece of gum. That's a piece of gum. What flavor was it? Yeah. <laughs> bingo. Bingo. Yeah. You, you got Yeah. That's, yes. It's very, it's, it's very much like, and I've been involved in this, because I've been trying to figure out what's going on for the last five years or so, and you I mean, there's all these rabbit trails that you go down and you discover how corrupt the world really is. And and you have a tendency to just get totally overwhelmed and feel helpless about it. And this is what they want you to feel. It's exactly what they want you to feel. It's It's very similar to what happened to the Israelites in the wilderness when they they sent up spies into the land of Canaan and they came back but but it's kind of let, let me give you an illustration of it is put yourself in that situation and they go up to the land of Canaan and they're spying out they're spying out the land of Canaan and they they just keep sending these telegraphs back you know, every day or two, about what the giants are doing. The giants up here, man, they're 12 feet high. These guys are just unbelievable. They're just, I mean, and their swords, I can't, we couldn't even pick up one of their swords. And they're just so bad. And they've got these, they've got these uh, fighting rams up here, and they're just, man, they are just, and we just, we, we're trying to figure out this, there's something they're doing at night over here, and we're trying to figure out what they're doing over there at night. But, man, it really looks bad. I, I don't know. It really just looks hopeless for us. But we, we've got to keep up with what these giants are doing every day. Now, mm-hmm. now that's to me, that's a good illustration of what's going on. Go ahead. Well, it, it is, and I'm going to ask you, with your years of experience, uh, about that very story. As I recall the story, there was 12 of them. Ten of the 12 came back and did what you're describing here, and two did not. Please tell me, what was God's reaction? Now, he had told them to go inhabit this, and they were spying it out and says, just what you said, oh, but the giants and the swords and whereas grasshoppers and blah, 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 blah. What was God's reaction to those people that were focused on what the giants were and they were terrified of the giants, even though the Lord had told them to go and occupy, as, by the way, he's told us in the New Testament? What was God's reaction with those people? He was really angry with them. He was Thanks. so angry that he, 
that he said, okay, if you guys don't have the guts, if you don't have the faith and the courage to go do what I've asked you to do, and after all that I've shown you in the last three years here, I, if you still don't have the faith to go do what, I, what I'm going to do, all I'm asking you is follow me, that's all. I'm going to do it. I'm not even asking you. I'm just asking you to go. If you're not going to do that, you're all going to die out here in this dusty, hot desert, and I'll bring your kids up here. I'm uh-huh. gonna, that, that was his reaction to them. And the two, uh-huh. the two guys that had the faith, Joshua and Caleb, were the only two adults that came out of Egypt that w- actually walked in and occupied the land of Canaan. I am so glad you threw that word faith in there because I'm going to tell you what I see what you just said. And thank you for that excellent description. And this is why I get so bunched up because it is no different today than what it was then. And I'm going to tell you the way I see it. People can call. They can write. I don't care because there's no doubt in my mind I can defend this position. The bottom line is they have more faith in the power of those giants these mighty men, the, the rich men today, and et cetera, et cetera, than they do the God of the Bible. Because Amen. if they had faith in the God of the Bible, they would have marched forward as they were told to do without hesitation or reservation, knowing in whom they have followed. And this is, this is where we're at. So I, I didn't mean to get off, but you threw that word faith in, and it, it just tied right into exactly what I wanted to get at. So thank you. Well, that's I've been we've been uh, talking and thinking. I, I'm always trying to think and uh, chew on different things, and I'm just more and more convinced that we have been we have been empowering the enemy by focusing on the enemy and focusing on all of these intrigues, these enemy intrigues about what's going on, and in the process, the Christian people of America have lost their concept of God, who God is, and our God is uh, so vastly superior, Jesus Christ is so vastly superior to, to any of these other things. That's what he says. He's far above Ephesians 1, toward the end of Ephesians 1. Jesus is far above all principalities and powers and anything that's named anywhere. And yet our concept is that that uh, these these forces, these rulers of evil, whatever you want to call them, are so powerful that we just it's it's hopeless, you know. And so that's the reason I wanted to go back and just give try to give some foundational truth from the Bible about God, about God. Uh, and I, I wrote you that the other day about that we are so, what we do is we try to put out these brush fires. We see a brush fire over here, and we try to go and, put, you know, we don't even try to put it out. We just say, look at that brush fire over there. Man, that, that could get into, we could have a problem with that. And then there's another brush fire. There's brush fires all around us, and we look at the brush fires. We don't really go get the fire extinguisher, and we don't really focus on God. 
And uh, I think we just need to, and, and these are, to a lot of people, these are boring. These are boring. Uh, you know, the assumption, the presumption is we already know this stuff. Well, do we? We're not acting like we know this stuff. We're acting like a bunch of scared scared uh, spies that came back from Canaan and saw the giant. That's what we're acting like. Well, Alan, you know, okay. it's, it's funny. The, the Lord does talk about brush fires, uh, to, to be fair. He talks about them in James. He talks about the tongue and how it kindleth a little fire. And then he goes on and he says, but if it already be kindled, how much more? There's brush fires, folks. There's always yeah. been brush fires, and it's blazing. This yeah. ball of dirt, whenever your time frame is, this ball of dirt's going away. Yeah. And and, and so it, to, to sit and focus on these little brush fires, he's more interested in the brush fires we're kindling with our tongues. And how how then shall we live? I, I keep saying that today. Yeah. How then shall we live? How are we talking to and treating one another? Yeah, yeah. That's the that's the fruit of a Christian is how we treat one another. If we bite and devour one another, if we uh, sow discord among brethren, if we divide brethren, if we withdraw from brother over nothing, then is that Christian? Is that Christian? Is that Christian character? Of course not. Of course not. And that's what the what's what Jesus said, by their fruit you shall know them. And so we need to what I believe we need to go back and lay a good foundation, remind ourselves of some of the foundational truth of the Bible. And uh I'm going to tonight I'm gonna read, I'm gonna probably do this uh three or four of uh, my calls here. And this is from the book Trusting God by Jerry Bridges. This is I don't know this I've had this probably for thirty years. It's a really good book and it covers this in a way that I I agree with his concept of the sovereignty of God and the other things he talks about here as well. The only uh uh what do you say, the only apology I make for it is uh, he uses the New International Version, and I, I didn't have time uh, to go and uh, redo all the scriptures in this, so forgive me for that. But uh, I think you'll get the idea as I read through this. So let me just try to uh, get going on this. I may not get through all of it tonight, but hopefully I can. So this is Chapter 3. From Trusting God by Jerry Bridges, The Sovereignty of God. Psalm 33, verse 10 and 11 says, The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart throughout all generations. In the year 1902, a young English boy came down to breakfast to find his father reading the newspaper, which carried news of preparations for the first coronation in Britain in 64 years. In the middle of breakfast, the father turned to his wife and said, Oh, I'm so sorry to see this worded like that. She said, What is it? Why, he said, Here is a proclamation that on a certain date, Prince Edward will be crowned king at Westminster, and there is no Deo Valente, 
God willing. The words stuck in the young boy's mind for the very reason that on the appointed date, the future Edward VII was ill with appendicitis and the coronation had to be postponed. At this time, at the end of Queen Victoria's reign, the political, economic, and military power of the British Empire was at its zenith. Yet for all its great might, Great Great Britain could not carry out its planned coronation on the appointed date. Was the omission of God willing from the proclamation and the subsequent postponement of the coronation merely a coincidence, two events without any relation to one another? Or did God cause Prince Edward to have appendicitis to show that he was in control? We don't know why the situation occurred as it did. One thing we do know, however, whether we acknowledge it with Deo Valente or not, with God willing or not, we cannot carry out any plan apart from God's will. The Bible leaves no doubt about that fact. James says it so clearly in the following passage. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into this or that city and spend a year there, carry on business and take money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. James 4, 13 through 15. God is in control. He is sovereign. He does whatever pleases him and determines whether we can do what we have planned. This is the essence of God's sovereignty. His absolute independence to do as he pleases and his absolute control over the actions of all his creatures. He can overrule our plans. No creature, person, or empire can either thwart his will or act outside the total bounds of his will. In chapter 1, I stated, uh, this is back in the book, for us to tr- for us to trust God in times of adversity we must believe in God's sovereignty, his love, and his wisdom. Of these three truths, the sovereignty of God seems to be questioned the most frequently and most stridently. It seems we will allow God to be anywhere except upon his throne, ruling his universe according to his good pleasure and his sovereign will. Even godly Christian writers whose books are helpful to many, can in their writings take God off the throne. One of their most common statements is that God has voluntarily limited himself to the actions of men in order to give man his freedom. And I, I'm pretty close to that concept. We just discussed that. I'm, I'm pretty close to this concept that uh, he's criticizing here. For example, Andrew Murray, a great uh, South African Christian man, wrote, in creating man with a free will and making him a partner in the rule of the earth, God limited himself. He made himself dependent on what man would do. Man, by his prayer, would hold the measure of what God could do in blessing. And I would say it pretty close to that, that God, uh, God in his sovereign will, 
decided to limit himself, his power, in order to accomplish his ultimate goal of converting the souls of all of his of his people. He doesn't force us. He doesn't overpower us. And yet he has not given up control of the universe. I think both of those things are true. Other Christian writers fail to acknowledge the controlling hand of God, either directing or permitting in every event of our lives. One writer, for example, speaks of suffering sometimes coming because of misfortune or accident, things just happening or pain coming our way due to circumstances beyond our control. Our response to such statements is more than mere theological discussion. Confidence in the sovereignty of God in all that affects us is crucial to our trusting Him. If there is a single event in all of the universe that can occur totally outside of God's sovereign control, then we cannot fully trust Him. His love may be infinite, but His power is limited, and His purpose can be thwarted, We cannot trust him. You may entrust to me your most valuable possessions. I may love you and my aim to honor your trust may be sincere. But if I do not have the power or ability to guard your valuables, you cannot truly entrust them to me. Paul, however, said we can entrust our most valuable possessions to the Lord. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 12, Paul said, That is why I am suffering as I am, yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and I am convinced, I am persuaded that he is able to guard what I have committed to him against that day. But someone might say, Paul is speaking there of eternal life. Well, without question, we can entrust our eternal destiny to God, but what about our problems in this life? They make me wonder about the sovereignty of God. And I think it, it makes all of us wonder. It should be evident, however, that God's sovereignty does not begin at death. As we will see in a later chapter, his sovereign direction in our lives even precedes our births. God rules as surely on earth as he does in heaven. We help him, I, I would add, We help him by praying that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We help bring the will of God uh, more fully, more completely upon the earth by praying. How many of us consistently pray that prayer every day like Jesus said? He permits for reasons known only to himself, people to act contrary to and in defiance of his revealed will for a certain time. But he never permits them to act contrary to his sovereign will. In support of the statement I just made, God never permits people to act contrary to his sovereign will. Consider the following passages of Scripture. In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Proverbs 16, verse 9. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Proverbs 19, 21. There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. Proverbs 21, 30. 
Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? Ecclesiastes 7.13. Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? Lamentations 3.37. You ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. James 4, verse 15. To the angel of the church at Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Revelation 3, verse 7. We make plans, but those plans can succeed only when they are consistent with God's overruling purposes. No plan can succeed against him. No one can straighten what he makes crooked or make crooked what he has made straight. No emperor, king, supervisor, teacher, coach can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not first decreed to either make it happen or allow it to happen. No one can say, I will do this or that and have it happen if it is not part of God's sovereign will. What an encouragement that is. What a stimulus to trusting God. This aspect of God's sovereignty should be to us. Is someone out to get you? The person absolutely cannot execute his malicious plan unless God has first decreed it or allowed it. I spoke with a military chaplain. This is Jerry Bridges who was in the military. I spoke with a military chaplain who had a confrontation with a more senior chaplain over an illegal act the senior chaplain proposed to do. As a result, the senior chaplain wrote a very critical letter to the chief, chaplain, chief of chaplains that, was seriously, that has seriously jeopardized my friend's career. Is my friend merely a victim of a cruel act of revenge? Well, on one, on one level, it looks like that, doesn't it? but not according to Scripture. The ungodly chaplain may write a dozen critical letters, but he absolutely cannot end my friend's military career unless God permits it. And if God permits it, it is because the ungodly action is part of God's plan for him and his overall plan for what what is going on in the world. No one can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it. Lamentations 3.37 My friend's experience is not unique. Thousands of Christians have experienced similar injustices at the hands of teachers, coaches, fellow workers, and supervisors at work. Perhaps you have too. When these events occur, they always hurt. We cannot dismiss them with the glib expression, God is in control. God is in control, but in his control, he allows us to experience pain, sometimes incredible pain, unbearable pain. The pain is very real. We hurt, we suffer. But in the midst of our suffering, we must believe that God is in control and that he is sovereign. As author Margaret Clarkson, again, so beautifully has written, The sovereignty of God is the one impregnable rock to which the suffering human heart must cling. The circumstances surrounding our lives are no accident. They may be the work of evil, but that evil is held firmly within the mighty hand 
of our sovereign God. All evil is subject to him, and evil cannot touch his children unless he permits it. God is the Lord of human history and of the personal history of every member of his redeemed family. Not only are the willful, malevolent acts of other people under God's sovereign control, so also are the mistakes and failures of other people. Did another driver go through a red light, strike your car, send you to the hospital with multiple fractures? Did a physician fail to detect your cancer in its early stages when it would have been treatable? Did you end up with an incompetent instructor in a very important course in college or an inept supervisor that blocked your career in business? All of these circumstances are under the controlling hand of our sovereign God who is working them out in our lives for our ultimate good. Now, it's hard to believe that a lot of times. And this is in our personal lives we look at this. What I want you to think about is in, in the big picture, the same principle is true. How are we to look at the big picture today? Is God in control or is Satan in control? Well, it looks like a lot of times Satan is in control, doesn't it? looks like Satan is the ruler of this world and that he's got all, I mean, everything is on his side. But I'll tell you what, that's not true. That's not true. That God is still on the throne in heaven, and we need to remind ourselves of those incredible passages where a few individuals have have just gotten a glimpse of the throne room of God. Go back and read those. Isaiah chapter 6, Ezekiel chapter 1, Revelation chapter 4 and 5. Those are in there to create awe, just a, a little concept of God. Is so overwhelmingly powerful. And yet today we have, most of us Christians seem to have lost that concept, especially those who are uh, very concerned about what's going on in America. And God may be judging, he may be in the process of judging America. I think he is in the process of judging America. I think we're at the beginning stages of uh, God's, judgment on America for our our moral spiritual corruption that's just uh pervasive in our in our culture today almost and yet there's still a remnant of God's people out there who are faithfully serving God praying and uh, carrying out the will of God in their life on a regular basis and this is what we need to do and trust that the Lord is is working out his plan, his his will in the world. Neither the willful, malicious acts nor the unintended mistakes of people can thwart God's purpose for us. There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. That's one that we ought to memorize. There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. Proverbs 21, verse 30. The Roman governor Felix left Paul in prison for over two years. Felix com- committed a totally unjust act because he wanted to grant a favor to the Jews. 
Josephus was left in prison, or Joseph was left in prison for two years because Pharaoh's cupbearer forgot to mention it to Pharaoh. These two godly men were left to languish in prison, one because of deliberate injustice and the other because of inexcusable forgetfulness. But both of their predicaments were under the sovereign control of an infinitely wise and loving God. Nothing is so small or trivial as to escape the attention of God's sovereign control. Nothing is so great as to be beyond his power to control it. This is what we need to remember. The insignificant sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his will. The mighty Roman Empire or the Roman Catholic Church and the Pope cannot crucify Jesus Christ and his people unless that power is given to it by God for his purposes. And what is true for the sparrow and for Jesus is true for you and me. No detail of your life is too insignificant for your heavenly Father's attention. No circumstance is so big that he cannot control it. Within two days, I received word of calamitous events in the lives of two of my close friends. The wife of one friend was killed instantly when her car apparently stalled at a railroad crossing in the path of an oncoming train. The other friend is an independent, over-the-road truck driver struggling to get established in that business. On a recent trip, his truck broke down, necessitating expensive repairs on the road. The cost of the repairs completely wiped out the income he would have made from that entire trip. The consequences of these two events, of course, cannot be compared. The struggling truck driver would agree with no amount that no amount of lost income can ever be compared with the loss of a precious wife. But what do we say to either of these men, each grappling with his own unique set of circumstances about the sovereignty of God? Do we just speak to the one of a tragic accident and to the other about his bad luck. Are we truly left to the mercy of stalled cars, of trucks that break down, of people who are in a position to do us harm and are intent on doing it? No, a thousand times no. We are in the hands of a loving, sovereign God who controls every circumstance of our lives and who rejoices in doing us good. Jeremiah 32:41. God's sovereignty is not always apparent. One of our problems with the sovereignty of God is that it frequently does not appear that God is in control of the circumstances of our lives or the circumstances of the world. We just see unjust and uncaring or even clearly wicked people doing ungodly things that adversely affect us and the entire world. We experience the circumstances, the consequences of other people's mistakes and failures. We even do foolish, sinful things ourselves and suffer the often bitter fruit of our own actions. It is difficult to see God working through secondary causes and frail, sinful human beings. But it is the ability of God to so arrange diverse human actions to fulfill his purpose that makes his sovereignty marvelous yet mysterious.
No Bible-believing Christian has any difficulty believing that God can and has worked many miracles, instances of his sovereign but direct intervention into the affairs of people. Regardless of our theological position regarding miracles occurring today, which I, I believe uh, God still works miracles uh, just as much as he ever did, just about, we all accept without question the validity of the miracles recorded in Scripture, at least all Christians do. But to believe in the sovereignty of God when we do not see his direct intervention, when God is, so to speak, working entirely behind the scenes through ordinary circumstances and ordinary actions of people, is even more important because that is the way God usually works. What did Jesus say, uh, this is just me, what did Jesus say uh, to Thomas? After he had been raised from the dead and Thomas was gone there, you know, Jesus uh, called him and uh, said, come and uh, look at my, feel my hands, feel my feet, feel the marks there in my hands where the nails were. And you know the response of Thomas. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. He was totally uh, in awe of the resurrected Jesus in front of him and in the flesh there, in some form. And uh, then Jesus said this, uh, more blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So it's, there's more blessing in, in not seeing the miraculous and yet maintaining our faith in God's uh, providential care and his sovereignty over the world, over our lives. God did allow, let me see, a 19th century writer, Alexander Carson, in his book Confidence in God in Times of Danger says, For the wisdom of man cannot see how the providence of God can arrange human actions to fulfill his purpose without any miracle. For example, one writer commenting on an accident in which her car was struck by another that went through a red light supposed that for God to have protected her, he would have made the other driver's car suddenly sprout wings so that it would fly over her car without impacting it. What is implied in such a statement is, that, is the idea that God is suddenly confronted with a crisis in the life of one of his children and has no recourse but to work a miracle or let the crisis occur. God did allow the crisis to occur in her situation, but it was not because he could not possibly prevent it. In his sovereignty, he could have changed the timing of either driver's arrival at the intersection or even diverted one of them along another route had he chosen to do that. None of us knows of such events in our own lives, perhaps hundreds, hundreds uh, in our lives that we don't know about. When we have been unknowingly spared from adversity or tragedy by the unseen sovereign hand of God. As the psalmist said, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Psalm 121, 3 and 4. 
Undoubtedly, one of the reasons the book of Esther is included in the scripture is to help us see the sovereign hand of God at work behind the scenes caring for his people. One of the more arresting things about the book is that the name of God is never mentioned once in the book of Esther. Yet the observant reader sees God's hand in every circumstance, bringing about the deliverance of his people just as surely as he brought about their deliverance from Egypt through mighty miracles centuries before. God has a sovereignly, God was just as sovereignly at work through ordinary circumstances in the time of Esther as he was through the miracles in the time of Moses. The pivot point of the book of Esther is chapter 6. Prior to the events of the night recorded in that chapter, the lives of all the Jews in the entire realm of the Persian king Xerxes were in danger due to the diabolical scheme of one wicked man, Haman, who had recently been elevated to a position higher than that of all the other nobles in the kingdom. But in chapter 6, events begin to turn, leading ultimately to the downfall and the death of wicked Haman, the physical salvation of the Jews, and the elevation of Mordecai, the hero of the story, to the second highest position in the kingdom. Because the series of events recorded in Esther chapter 6 reveals in a remarkable way how God sovereignly uses the most ordinary circumstances to accomplish his purposes, we will look at those circumstances in some detail. On the fateful night, King Xerxes could not sleep. So he or that night he couldn't sleep that night. So he ordered the book of the Chronicles of his reign to be brought in and read to him. Maybe that'll put me to sleep, he was thinking. In the course of the reading, it came to light that Mordecai, who was in danger of being hanged the very next morning, had on an earlier occasion reported a plot to assassinate the king. The king asked what recognition had been given to Mordecai and found that nothing had ever been done for him. So the king decided on the spot to honor Mordecai, and as it turned out, the very man who had determined to hang Mordecai ended up carrying out the king's edict to publicly honor him. Consider what all had to happen to save Mordecai from the gallows. Why could the king not sleep that fateful night? Why then did he ask for a dry register of facts to be read to him rather than soothing music to lull him to sleep or a drink of wine? And when the book of the Chronicles of his reign were read, why did the reader just happen to read from the particular section of the book where Mordecai's actions were recorded. Unbelievable. Were there not a thousand chances that the reader would have selected some other portion of the annals of the Persian Empire to read? The king heard about Mordecai's service and asked how he was rewarded. Why had the king not rewarded Mordecai at the time he had saved the king's life? Why did he suddenly determine to do something that night? And why did wicked Haman appear at the very moment to ask the king's permission to hang Mordecai? Why did Xerxes ask Haman 
what should be done to honor the man in such a way as to conceal the object of his favor, causing Haman to think he himself was the one to be honored. The answer to all those questions was that God was sovereignly orchestrating the events of that night to save his people. The question naturally arises, however, does God always orchestrate the events of my life for my good? It doesn't seem like it, does it? If we grant that the unusual outworking of events in Esther was due to the sovereign hand of God, are we justified in concluding that God always orchestrates the events of our lives to fulfill his purpose? According to Romans 8.28, the answer is a solid yes. That verse says, we know that in all things, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It is this assurance that God works in all events in our lives that gives a sense to Paul's exhortation elsewhere to give thanks in all circumstances. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 How could we possibly give thanks to God for all the circumstances of our lives if he were not at work in them for our good? I'm going to stop right there tonight. I'm only about halfway through this tonight, so I'm going to stop right there. And I hope that uh, I hope that that encourages you. This is this is what I believe we need to do. We need to focus on God. We don't focus on God near enough. We don't focus on His divine power, His overruling uh, uh, government of the world under and uh, in with His Son Jesus Christ, who is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords far above all principality and power in every name that's named, Jesus Christ our Lord. He has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, and he will bless us. He, he will be with us. He sends us out with his power, and we need to have that kind of faith, just like Joshua and Caleb had. Uh, when they came back and when they saw the land of Canaan and the giants and the wall cities up to heaven, have the confidence that God is with them, God is with us. This is the faith that we must maintain in the face of our circumstances today that seem to be so overwhelmingly negative to us today. Let's have a prayer, and then we can have some discussion. Heavenly Father, oh God, please forgive us for losing sight of your incredible sovereign power and rule over our lives, over the entire world, the the nations of the world. And we know that you are working all things according to the good purpose of your will. And we pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that your kingdom would come more fully, more completely, that it would impact uh, the lives of individuals all over the entire world. 
Jews and Gentiles, men and women, rich and poor, slave and free, all people would come to bow their knee voluntarily in faith to Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, please be merciful to us. Please forgive us for our weakness, for our being so easily distracted by the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the deceitfulness of the powers that be, the powers of wickedness in heavenly places that so easily deceive us and distract us and overwhelm us with fear and despondency and defeat. Oh, oh God, forgive us. Give us faith, give us courage, give us boldness like the apostles had, like the great men of faith in the Bible had and the great women of faith like uh, Mordecai and Esther had. We ask and pray, Father, that you would be with us, that you would wake up your people throughout America, throughout the world, that you would wake us up, however that might be, before it's everlastingly too late. But if it, if it involves uh, going through years and years of suffering, even like the Israelites, 400 years in slavery, your purposes will prevail, Father. This is our hope. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And, and thank you, Alan. You know, it, it amazes me sometimes the comments you make sometimes when you've been on a, 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 a slug of information or like this wrapping up, how it, it just ties in to, so frequently to, to some thoughts or points that I, I wanted to interject. You know, as you were reading that, uh, one of the things is, I'm, I'm going to state the obvious, everybody's going to go, well, duh. We are in a fallen condition. There's the duh. You know, this thing, you know, sometimes we're confronted with things that seem uh, like two different things that can't both be true, and yet sometimes they are. And this sovereignty of God, what what he allows, what he wills on, seems to be one of those things. And I've used an analogy before that I'm going to try here because I, I think it's very simple. i got to keep things simple. So I can, you know, a, a referee in, in, in a wrestling ring or, or in a boxing ring is sovereign there. If, if, if he says break, they break. Now, there's rare exceptions, but whatever. The point is, when he says break, they do. But what are they there for? They're there to spar. And as long as they spar within the rules, he lets them go pummel each other nigh unto death. Yeah. And, and and that's how I kind of see this with the Lord. We are in a fallen state uh, where we were in rebellion and still are to God. Uh, and, and he lets us do our own will and hoping we will do the right thing of choose you this day whom ye shall serve. I mean, the, the, the Bible says that he would, that all men would come unto him in repentance. But we also know that all men don't. So, you know, so so much for this, this monergistic thing. But one of the things, too, is this with this, this for our own good and how sometimes it doesn't seem that way. <clears throat> you know, it, it says, as you quoted there, that all scriptures work together for good for those 
who love God, they're called according to his purpose, and so on and so forth. But I think the problem is, is how, how do we reckon what's good for us versus God's insight and his purpose? What, what is the purpose? I mean, is it so we have an easy ride through this thing we call life? Or is it so that we're cleaned up and presentable without spot and wrinkle when the time really matters? And, and I think this thing with, with this, this, this flesh that we, we wrestle with, God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than ours. And back with the analogy with, with the referee and stuff, I think one of the reasons he allows some of these things is, and with the analogy of two guys getting into a ring and pummeling each other, Go ahead, beat each other's brains out, and hopefully you'll end up realizing just how stupid it is. And and that's that's kind of in a simplistic way, obviously, is how I, I kind of view this this uh, question or, or quandary. It's not a quandary to me, but it seems to be to many, uh, of the sovereignty of God versus what is ordained. Just because something happens, it's, it's somehow ordained of God. So th- that's kind of some of the thoughts that I, I had on that. I don't know if that made any sense. I don't know if you got any thoughts or comments on any of that. I think that's really right. I, people, I think we today in America, those of us who have lived in America all of our life, we've been conditioned. We just think this is normal life, you know, in, in America. We love our, we love the abundance, the personal peace, the we just take all of these things for granted as though these are, you know, these uh, are the blessings of God and that this is how God wants us to live. God wants us to have all these things. And we we never really take the time to step back and really analyze what what how we're living our life. What is our focus in our life? What is our purpose? What are we living for? And every once in a while, I think God yanks us by the collar and shakes us, and and upsets our our you know our perfect little life that we're we've got you know working on, and shows us He does that to make us realize maybe you need to look at this a little bit different. You know, I don't know about how you guys are, but for me, the most significant times in my life of spiritual growth, where my where I grew spiritually, uh, like moved to a whole different level in my life, was through intense pain and suffering. That's how it's like. As long as as long as things are pretty good, we just like to cruise. We just like to cruise. We like to stay right here, and we'll you know go along this. And then God just kicks the the chair out from under us, and wakes us up a little bit, and real makes us realize this is this is not what it's about, Alan. This is you realize that this just having this nice cushy nice life is not what it's about. And the only way he gets our attention a lot of time is to shake the daylights out of us almost and wake us up and take everything away from us and 
get to the point where you almost lose everything you got, and then you, you begin to maybe analyze your life again. That's what America needs. I mean, we look at all these things and we try to think, well, how can we save America? How can we save, you know, the material? What we mean by that is the material prosperity, the the material prosperity that we have, the peace that we have, the personal peace of the people. We can just go about our lives and live it like we want to without any problems. Kind of this is what we want. But is that what it's about? Is that what it's about? And that's uh, that's what you were saying. I, uh, that's a really good uh, thought that you shared about that. That's really good. Well, Alan, you, you, you did it again. You went right exactly where I was thinking with, with what you just said about America and easy and all this. And, and as, <clears throat> as you were reading some of that or saying some of that, I'm sitting here getting chills. I, I've got bells and whistles going off because... I cannot think of a single solitary example in the Old Testament where Israel did not get prosperous and forget God. It even categorically, definitively states it as such, and that's what happened. We start to take things for granted, and we we forget about God. And in in the New Testament, Christ himself says that it's, it's, you know, easier for the for a, a candle to pass through the eye of an eel than for a rich man to enter into heaven. We would think that those are things that, I'm not saying are bad in and of themselves, but we would be very leery and cautious about because those lead to the very apathy that we have. And, you know, I, I mentioned here a week or two ago, whatever it was, about Mendeleev's hierarchy of needs. One of the things that I've noticed for a very long time, I used to talk about the concrete jungle versus the the uh, 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 treed jungle, however you want to call it, is that when, when, when we have these things that are readily available, uh, readily, easily, our, our priorities change. And, and, and we're not spending the time and the, the effort, uh, key on the effort, well, and both the time and the effort sometimes, acquiring basic needs of existence. Uh, that, 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 that would lead us to God and make us appreciate more that God is providing these things. Instead, we're off onto our gadgetry. We're off onto this this higher criticism of, of, of Scripture, for example. I, I see a lot of that today, and and we we really lose sight. We lose complete focus on the real priorities there. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it's a, that's exactly right. <laughs> that we we have such a tendency to just uh what what it is is that we have become more and more and more dependent on other people. That's what it is. Instead of being self-reliant under God. And yeah. we today we don't we are so far away from being self-reliant, self-sufficient would maybe be a better term, self-sufficient under God. Not without God, but under God. Yeah. Like our like our ancestors had. I, I, I don't know if I've shared this story about my dad. I've, my dad uh, grew up in Arkansas on a sharecropper farm. And... Uh, they were always just poor, just got by and just got 
barely got through the year and then would borrow enough to start into another year, you know. And I asked him I, uh, several times we've asked and talked to, you know, talked about, well, how was how how was the depression you know the great depression i've read about that and how was that you know and what he said he said we didn't even know there was a a depression going on because we were just you know we were just basic that's how we lived all the time we just lived off the land we produced almost everything we ate we worked hard and uh didn't have much, but God took care of us, you know. So that, I mean, we are so far away from that today in America, you know. That's, that's uh, we we think about, I've been thinking about our, our son was over not too long ago and uh, we were talking about all this stuff and, and you know, we, we focus on all of these problems and you think, he just he just said you know god could god could stop all of this real easy all he'd have to do is just stop the electricity he just stop the electricity all over and that would just about stop all of these wicked evil plans that are going on and everybody would have to go back and learn how to farm again learn how to take care of ourselves and that's <laughs> That's basically about right, isn't it? We have just gotten so far to where we're we're anything but self-sufficient under God that we depend on for almost everything we have on other people or the ec- the the economic system we're living under. So, well, but, Alan, but, you, you you did it again. You you kind of went down this the same path that I'm thinking, you know, this thing of being dependent on other people, you know, <clears throat> well, back with what you said about your your, your father and, and the depression, you know, I've heard others talk about that as well, and I've had people all but call me a liar when I have repeated that, because they think that just everybody was devastated. No, if, 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 if you're uh, exceeding poor, uh, you, you, it, it, it's, it's just life as usual. But this with these experts, you know, one, one of the things, if you look back in, in, in the early founding of this country and even to your father, these, these sharecroppers, they are very uh, inventive. <clears throat> They're very entrepreneurial. Yeah. They are not specialists. We have got this thing of specialists. We have it in the pastoral ships. We yeah. have it in, in every single imaginable field. And yes, I know there are people that do need to be specialized, but it's gotten at a point that it's like you're not even allowed to have an opinion in some place you don't have a PhD in or something. I mean, it, it, it's it's absolutely absurd. And yeah. you, you also mentioned you also mentioned about the electrical. You know, I'll go back even further. You know, I've known as long as I can remember. It actually goes to grade school. I, I can tell you when it was. That I never wanted to be a hundred years old. And I'll tell you what it was that did it, funny enough, was when I learned about what they called the industrial age and realizing that people going from, from horse and buggy to these motorized vehicles and everything being mechanized and stuff. And this is another example of things that have so drastically changed our thinking and our actions and interactions with people. And an example, since I do happen to like horses, 
to get to anything you might even consider to be a, 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 a grocery store, it's about a 35-mile trip. Now, if you were to get on a buckboard and hitch up, you know, uh, the old gray mare, uh, you're looking at, depending on how hard you want to ride, you're looking at a couple, three, four days yeah. to get there and get back. And you would almost certainly run into people along the way. You would almost certainly spend the night, if not out in the woods, at somebody's place, be it even in their barn, and there's that interaction. Now, we hop in an automobile, we zip there, zip back, and have no interaction. Oh, you may recognize somebody, throw a wave at them. But there's no interaction there. And this has an isolating effect. And the whole experience, I'm going to submit, is ungodly. Now, look, I, I don't want to be accused. Don't be writing me about, you know, Amish and rubber tires, okay? I, that, that's not what I'm saying. But it changes us societally, drastically. Oh, yeah. And changes our priorities. I'll, I'll let you go ahead and go. I just those are a couple of points that I think sometimes, and that's not even getting into the internet and stuff. That's just that's just this zippity doo dah that's isolated in in our own cars, and especially where you know people are just so uh, pinpoint. I mean, I, I've talked to people that are geniuses in their area. You you can't get them outside that because they don't know anything outside of that. Yeah, I think they deliberately have designed it that way so that we are compartmentalized. We're Bingo. We don't really we don't really have a big picture of anything because we you know we are specialized in this one thing I can do this one thing and that's it you know and it's it is it's it's amazing how this industrial age this technological age that we are living in is moving people we were just talking about this yesterday at our group that we went to about how people anymore we don't know how to relate to each other hardly and we have a we have a all of this technological all of these devices the tv the internet the uh the cell phones the whatever the latest gadget is you know and people are texting and doing all this stuff and it's kind of what it does is that it half it halfway satisfies a deep need that we have to relate to people. We have, God built us like this, that we have this deep inner need to relate to people. I mean, some of us are more, are have more of that. Others, I'm, I'm more of a, what they call melancholy, which means I, I, I could probably just survive without maybe my wife and I, you know, but the rest, I, you know, I, I'd probably be happy that way. <laughs> but I need people, too. I need people to draw me out and to interact with me and do that stuff. But what we have is that all of this, like TV, just think about TV. That what happens on TV is that you live, you live your life vicariously through what's going on on those shows. And so that somehow... What that does is that it tricks our minds into believing that we've had these. We've had these relationships. I mean, it's kind of like we, the, you know, you know, Brian Williams will come on and he'll, you know, he smiles and it's like we all know this guy. And he's lying to us. I mean, like you, we've heard the last few days, but, but it satisfies, it 
not completely. I mean, it just basically numbs a little bit of that. It satisfies a little bit of that deep need that God made built into us, and yet we don't. It it we don't. Uh, it's short circuiting all of that, so that we don't. We're not relating to each other, and I mean, there's so many things like that that we don't. We need to stop and examine our lives a lot more closely and uh and and get back to a more uh basic biblical approach to life go ahead well again you you went right down where i was going you know it's interesting with that tv it's not the point i was going to make but you you brought up another one uh they're they're connected at the hip though you know one of the things not only i'm gonna throw out a little trivia here that a lot of people may not be aware you know we talk about hypocrite if you look that word up hypocrite it's actually it's an actor a stage actor yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of people i don't think get that and they're liars that that these are these people are trained liars to get you to believe that you they are that, you, that they are who or whatever it is that their role is and one of the things you said about you know they come out smiling they make you all happy and giddy and kind of falsely do this they also give us a false sense of a false sense i i think one of the things and i'm gonna i'm gonna throw the name out uh the waltons uh i i, I researched that a while back I, I talked about it on air but i used to like that show and it's still one of the more milder ones i suppose but one of the things that i realized is that we start getting this sense of our lives and how it should or at least could be and then when it's not like that, we get discouraged or, 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 or disappointed and, and, and can get upset at people because, you know, gee, we're not saying, you know, good night, Jim, Bob, and Mary Ellen, and, 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 and uh, uh, John Boy, and so on and so forth. And then I think we, we kind of resent that. And, and the other thing that's along those lines, which you were talking about with the TV and the movies, I'm, I'm going to hit YouTube again. One of the things that I found out when, when I, we were kind of really at our height of, of um, uh, uh, conference calls, you know, that I used to set up before and after, after the show, is it, it, it's interesting because one of the things I noticed is, is everybody's off into this YouTube business, and there's others, documentaries, whatever, and it can be TV, but it's like everybody's in their own little world, their own little cocoon, and when they come together, what's on your mind is the latest YouTube that they watch. Well, you watch this one and I watch that one. You want to talk about the one you just watched and I want to talk about the one I just watched, you know, and, and there's this, this uh, separation just based on that. And again, this has a societal change, a priority change, uh, a consideration change in how we, we consider and interact with one another. Yeah. That's really right. And have you thought, I've been thinking, the last year or so I've been noticing, uh, like when you go to the store, it's the same It's the same everywhere, just about, you know. There's just, there's hundreds of choices. It's like hundreds of choices. Yeah. I mean, you used, used to go, What? Uh, here's a uh, just one example, you know, you used to go get, uh, these Oreo cookies, you know, Oreo cookies. And, you know, you dunk them in milk, and they're really good, you know. But you go get, you 
Today, you know, they have about 50 different kinds of Oreos. Have you noticed that? <laughs> and and like what what other uh, one one thing? I every once in a while we'll get some of these cheese it cheese crackers, you know. <laughs> but now they've got like 20 different flavors of these things, and you go and you think, what in the world is going on? You know, and cars and and TV shows, you know. On TV, you've got 100, 200 channels. Then on on YouTube or on the Internet, you've got a million different channels, you know? It's like what that's doing is it's getting us that there's no cohesion. It just gets us to focus on me, 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 what I want, what I like, and there's no there's no group cohesion. To anything, that's what I think. What do you think about that? Well, I, I, I think that's an excellent observation, and, I, and I've, I've made that myself. And I, I believe it is a spin on the ancient bread and circus. We have all these, and I'm quoting here, all these choices of what type of Oreo cookies and cheese it nip things and all this. And so, in our mind, we think we've got choices on stuff that's irrelevant and insignificant. But when yeah. it comes to things that are significant, we really don't have any choices at all, but we're appeased because we think we have all these choices. And I'll tell you another observation I made, and this goes back to, to when I was doing computers, uh, building them and custom building them and that kind of thing. And also I found the same thing with, with, with websites. Because there's so much of these choices, these little trinkets and baubles that don't amount to a hill of beans, but we think we've got choices, people have become very indecisive. I have noticed that uh, when you give people too many options, they get overwhelmed. They just throw their hands up. I, I noticed yep. that when I was building computers, and this this was uh, even a couple of decades ago, certainly 15 years ago anyway, that people just it, – it's like they, they, they want to know, well, you got you got three choices. You start telling them, well, it depends on the main board you get. You know, what do you want, a video and this and that? You know, what are you going to do with a computer? I, and you give them too much, and they just get they, – it's like they just <laughs> shut down. They They turn off. But they'll sit there going up and down that same aisle for the box of Oreos flavor or those Cheez-It nip things, uh, you know, and and, and think they got a choice in life. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when we went to, when we moved to Seattle, you know, we moved from a little town and we moved to Seattle and (laughs) I never had had this espresso or all that coffee, you know, and I walked into a Starbucks and, and, uh, I could not figure it out, and I just said, I'd, I'd like a cup of coffee, you know. And they said, well, what kind? <laughs> and I didn't have, I mean, I didn't, it took me a long time to figure out how to order a cup of coffee at Starbucks, you know. You got these 15 different different things that you say, you know. <laughs> it's really unbelievable. And, uh, your explanation, that makes a lot of sense. That it gives yeah. us all this feeling that we are free to choose. Yeah. But on really significant things, there is no freedom. Yeah. That that that's right. And 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 with your coffee, it's like I, I want you know the kind that comes from ground coffee beans. Yeah. I, I'll tell you a little story. <laughs> funny. I worked at a convenience store for a while uh, back when I was in Colorado, and. One of the managers. Every time you got a new manager, you got some new harebrained idea. But one of these. 
it was when this Starbucks thing was becoming a fad, which it about makes me want to vomit. I, I mean, I just find it, it's it's perverse as far as I'm concerned, but whatever. But anyway, they decide, you know those little uh, coffee decanters? It's got a little pump thing, and, and, yeah. and you, you, you pump it up, and it puts out. Well, they got a whole bunch of these, and they required stainless steel, whatever, and, and had, I don't know, 12 or 20 of these with different flavors. And I'm like, what? What are you guys doing here? Oh well, you know, blah blah blah, and flavored coffees and blah blah blah. Well, I, I live kind of in a in, in a hick town, and and I I remember telling them, I says, look, these are cowboys, man. They're looking for their chew and their Mountain Dew. They don't care about your flavored coffees. Yeah. Well, yeah. I was geared off, and sure enough, about about a couple three months later, it, it, the coffee things went away, and yet the chew and Mountain Dew continued to go on, and this is. <laughs> Just a, it's a flavor or a spin of this this bread and circus. Yeah, I think that's really right. That makes a lot of sense of what's going on. And it gives people a feeling of that that's very deceptive. Yeah. Well, Kent Hoven actually gets into this. You know, one of the things is we do it from earliest age. Uh, he's brought up about these mobiles that we that we put in babies' cribs. You know, you, you wind a thing up. I mean, it used to be back in the day. It was just if you touched it, it moved or whatever. But now they got the, the wind up or those swings that, that, that just sit there and rock them for hours. You know, we're not geared to be stimulated like that. And that is what is happening. And yeah. this is why people have the attention span of a cockroach. And I know people get upset when I say that. But they don't have – they don't have – they cannot sit still for a phone conversation. They cannot sit still to read a book. They, they, I mean, they just, they have no patience or ability anymore to, to focus for any uh, amount of time. You know, I'm going to tell you something that freaked me out. And I've heard pastor, uh, uh, professors say this. You know, you get these professor emeritus that, that, that come in, and, and they're, they're the old timers. And the new professors will tell them, look, professor, this isn't like it was. You, you can't go on for hours. 45 minutes, an hour tops. Just like they do with you with, with pastoring and, you know, your little 50-minute sermon. And that's yeah. what it is. And yet you read back historically, these professors and these pastors would go on for hours, four yeah. or six hours. was not unheard of. Yeah. Good luck trying to get somebody to sit still for a four or six-hour sermon or, or, yeah. or lecture. That's really right. That's really right. And it's all of these other distractions that we have that we think are so important that we've got to run, you know, do all of this stuff. And and you can't even have a uh, a common, uh, a normal relationship conversation with people, you know. And, yeah. and it's it's going up in 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 our our comprehension. You know, there's been much to do the last couple of years about a, a school test. I think it was an eighth grade test was put back on 1935 or something, and we've we've got law professors that can't even pass that eighth grade test anymore, you know. Uh, but it, it, it's the same thing. If you go back, one of the things when I started getting in this legal historic stuff, when you go back and you read some of these people's writings, you better be focused because those yeah. people were focused, and it's not just the archaic words. The way they structure those words, they're very poignant and very succinct, and we're just not used to talking. We're, we're used to this lackadaisical, uh, willy-nilly, um, you know, uh, 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 kind of flippant 
little uses of vernacular. And these people were not that way. And when yeah. we get it it's that serious and that pointed, we're kind of like absolutely lost and befuddled. Yeah. Yeah, that's really right. So, you know, it's interesting kind of how we got off on this with, with this sovereignty and kind of got into some of these these social and structural changes and, and in our, our thinking and our priorities. And I think all of these have intentionally been done to draw us away from the Lord. We have been given this false uh, 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 prosperity because it's a biblical principle. You know, uh, they can read the Bible too. Oh, hey, do you know every time Israel got got prosperous, they forgot about God? Hey, let's give them yeah. this prosperity. Uh, yeah. You know, every time they were distracted with trinkets and baubles, they, they forgot about God. Let's give them trinkets and baubles. And that is exactly what it is. And this is why I'm pulling back from a lot of this stuff because it, it's getting a point. You know, I've never been a particularly good reader. But I know what all this, this this audio and video that a lot of people are getting what what I I call semi illiterate. They have the ability to read. They know how to read, but they don't have the attention span or the stamina to sit and to read. Yeah, yeah, that's really right. Oh. Well, anyway, and I don't know if you got any, in the any process, other. Well, in the process ahead. of not reading, if people don't read. And, uh, I mean, what one thing that they do is they deliberately try to shut down our imagination. That's what they do. So that we do not, our imagination does not really function. Reading uh, forces, trains, it's like exercise for your imagination, if you read. That's another biblical principle we we are made in the image a nation of god yeah yeah they want that squelched stifled and if they can't do it sociologically they'll do it chemically and they have been doing so on yeah. mass yeah that lesson that uh paris reed had had three or four weeks ago that was powerful about the power of your imagination and faith Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember the one that you're talking about. That's right. And, you know, he made a comment on another sermon I'd listened to years ago. I don't remember which one it was. But he was talking about when two cars pass each other on the highway. He says, we have more faith in the driver of that oncoming vehicle than we do in God. And I'm like, excuse me. And then he went on to explain. He says, because as we are approaching that, we can imagine that other car passing us. Yeah. And that ties in with what you just brought up. And yeah. we don't put that much faith in the Lord, I fear. I'm sorry to say. That's what I think, too. Yeah. We put wow. more faith uh, in the enemy. Yeah. Yep. I, I think this has been a very powerful uh, one, too. I, I'm going to try some as an experiment. I'm going to put this out first. I'm going to try to open up some mics because we've gone long enough now. I'll bet I cannot unmute them. I'm going to try to unmute you guys, just see if it works. I think I figured out what has happened is that it logs me out. I'll be darned. It did let me unmute them. Hey, you guys are on. I could unmute you this time. It, yeah. it seems to be, it seems it be, uh, talks you, logs us out, and somehow we lose the board. The broadcast keeps going. 
but sometimes anyway I lose control of the board, but this time I didn't. So you guys are on. Yeah, you guys have any quick thoughts before Alan takes off about what he's been talking about? Go ahead. Hey, Mom. Hi, sweetie. You got something? How are you I, guys doing? I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm getting sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> I just agree with the um the idea that we need to. I mean, if we walk by faith and you know things that are seen are more important than things that are unseen, then we need to have our imagination the way the Lord designed us to be able to see into his, his spirit realm, basically. Yeah, that's right. With the eyes of our heart, the Bible calls it. Yeah. Well, then, you know, Alan, you're, you're right. You, you said you said these, uh, we can't do even greater things. You said these things uh, these things uh, you you can do if you have faith, and even greater because I go to my father because he sent us the Holy Spirit. And that's right. Uh, yeah, because faith is the substance of things uh, hoped for, not see, you know, not seen. But and you were talking about how he dealt with Thomas. Uh, how uh, not Thomas was it Thomas? Yeah, but, Thomas. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That blessed are you, and uh, but you seem more blessed are those who haven't because they're more blessed because they have to have they have the faith. They have the faith, and the faith is what what he blesses. Yeah. So they are more blessed. And you had Alan. You had me cracking up. Uh, I swear. I think it was a spearmint flavor, Alan. I think it was oh, the gum. <laughs> I gotta tell you, you probably want it. my brother. My brother-in-law used to put his boogers underneath his uh, his uh, night table. Uh, that's, that's what I was thinking, Maria. But I thought the gum would be better. <laughs> so anyway, I want to tell you, there's a there's a, a job opening here for turd inspector. As well, he says, I don't want to know about what the latest turd is. But I well, you know, Maria, you know, it's interesting you brought that up about that dialogue between Christ and Thomas, because as I see it, we had the same thing back with Adam and Eve. You know, it, it wasn't until it was pointed out to me that I ever really noticed Adam had actually seen God create things. Eve had never seen him create anything. And so by Eve, it had to be by faith because Adam had seen it, and that's why it's counted him. And that's what he's saying, same thing in the new, is that, that, that you know, uh, blessed art thou, but, you know, uh, so on and so forth, he that hath not seen and yet believeth. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Oh, okay. I also had this comment on the, you know, nothing happens outside of God's sovereign will because I've, you know, I've lived my life like that, uh, you know, believing that 
no matter what happens, you know, God is in complete control. And I always go to that verse, um, a man casts a lot, but the Lord determines the outcome. Yeah, And uh, right. please excuse my baby, I'm sorry. But I also, it, it gives me great peace to leave the house in the morning and know that God is in complete control. And I don't know how the people who don't know him and don't know his character in that way, I don't know how they can leave the house with so many scary things happening, you know, and it's just like it, it reminds me of the verse that, for fear of what will happen next. You know, they're yeah. so they're so afraid. But, but also, Jen, you know, you know that you can pray to him and and you know that he says, you know, you have not because you ask not. Right. And you know that you you know that you have a place as long as you're you're staying obedient to him yes. by him in the throne room where you can you can petition him and he's your mediator but Yes, uh, and I think I think the devil tries to overstep his boundaries um with Christians because Christians don't know the boundaries. They don't know God's character, they don't know the blessings, they don't know what he said they could and couldn't have and you know, and, and and I think that part of that, you know, no matter if they do know or they don't know, that God's supreme supreme um, determination of what he wants to do, you know, no one can stop his hand. And that's what I love, you know. It, it just brings me, you know, peace knowing that no matter what, he's, you know, he's... Oh, yeah. Got my life in his hands, and like I said, I don't know how people can go about their daily lives and and, and not have that peace and not know his character in that aspect. But yeah, that's, that's what that's that's what I think too. Is that boy when all of the when all of this stuff really hits the fan that the economy collapses or people just people are gonna be. Uh, with a lot of people don't have any kind of foundation for that and they're we're going to have absolute chaos when that happens you know hey jen i i used to say it this way if i knew what i knew today and didn't know the lord i'd be scared to death yeah well, yeah and that's going to that's what the verse it says in I think a psalm they that keep their mind stayed upon you, he keeps them in perfect peace who keeps his mind stayed upon you. And, you know, that that's in Psalms. And, you know, that that people would tell me, you know, how can you think that everything that you do is in God's control? I get everywhere you go, because I would pray. I say, Well <clears throat> don't let anything happen today that's not in your your supreme control and you know, direct me where you want me to go. You know, set up divine appointments. Who do you want me to speak to or who do you want me to meet? And people would say to me, you're not God's puppet. And I'd say, or am I? Jesus said I do oh, nothing boy. for what I see the Father doing. So you could, mm-hmm. you could argue that Jesus was God's puppet in the earth, you know, and, and it's not my will but your will. You know, we all have to... He, he gives us that free will, but he cherishes it when we lay it down and say, not my will, Father, but your will be done. And yeah, he gives amen. us that opportunity. Amen. amen, that's right. Amen. But I saw that today, 
time when we were talking. We are so, Alan, you know, and I think that's why we're children of the light, because he's preparing us beforehand, whereas these people will be taken by surprise because we've opened our eyes to the truth. But, uh, you know, I I was looking at it today. Well, you know, just just a quick quick selfie, but when I was maybe two, I was in the sandbox playing in the sand, and this other little girl walked up and and threw sand in my face. And and I went over to the woman caring for me and started crying. Why why would she do such a thing? And it it wasn't, you know, it's a devil's form of oppression. And so, you know, I become a good herd inspector, you know, like you were talking about them in the, in the uh, land, you know, oh, there's a giant, you know, oh, no, there's another, you know what I mean? It's a, it's a double form of oppression because you can't understand the evil, but you're not supposed to understand evil. And then I looked at it, it's been 2,000 years. I mean, Genesis bringing it up, and it's it's amazing. The whole earth, the earth is dying. It is dying. The whole earth is groaning for the coming of the sons of man. Because that, that truth, that, think of the patience of the Lord. They crucified Jesus because he didn't come and save them all like they wanted him to. And now they're still waiting. They're still waiting. There's, my God, talk about your couch potatoes. Yeah. You know, it's just, my God. And, and so, you know, and so what is everybody? Oh, well, you know, I want to be a watchman on the wall, and I'm going to warn my brother because I don't want his blood on my hands. But really, I mean, mostly they're just being turn inspectors. And uh, Well, Maria, it's funny yeah. you bring that up because Alan brought up uh, kind of toward the beginning, uh, not about dispensational futurism, but, but in that. This is the problem with this kingdom and having a proper understanding of it is because otherwise we have this apathetic thing. That's off in the future. That That's this ethereal thing way down in the past, in, in the future, or, or near in the future. But in the future is the operative. And, and it breeds inactivity and apathy. And that was not until about 150, 200 years ago in Christendom. Well, other than oh, clear back to Dark Ages. I, I yeah. believe it's been building, Lori, because it has to, because something is going to have to shake them off their couches finally. And the Lord has been so patient. He's been so patient. It's been going on for 2,000 years. And, and I'm very, you know, I can't wait till he comes and takes care of a whole lot of what's going on. But, I mean, you know, that's, I should be working and praying and and working for the kingdom instead of, you know, saying, oh, you know, instead of making a, a, a crap list, <laughs> I'm trying to say it nicely, <laughs> instead of making a, you know, a wish list for when he comes, you know, Santa Claus or whatever, you know, okay, well, you know, this one and this one did this and that one did that and, you know, no, I'm 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 talking to Lord, I'm praying, and I'm I'm doing what I can, and 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 He sees what's going to have to be taken care of, but what is going to have to be taken care of is not going to be me, maybe because I was too busy looking at what everybody else was doing wrong. Because well, Maria, it's happen. It's going to have to be. Maria, this is one of the things too that Alan brought up about that with with Joshua and Caleb and and the twelve and the giant. Yeah. And that's why I asked him what was God's reaction to those people. He was very, very upset at the people that were focused on the giants and says, oh, this is too scary. We can't go do this. The Lord told him, 
Go possess the land. Period. He ain't saying unless you have problems, unless you run into this, that's been clear. You go there in faith, you ain't got to worry about them. And that, no. I think, was Paul Allen's point. Yeah, Lord, you know, we become a lamp unto the Lord, you know. But if we're shining our light on, on that, you know, that mouse there for too long, you know, it starts, the shadow starts growing and it becomes a huge rat, you know. And <laughs> what? Well, I think it all comes down to what we were talking about earlier, Mom. The kingdom of God suffered violence, and violence take it by force. The violence, we we are not going to be passive anymore. We are going to take back the kingdom and manifest the light in the darkness. And the, the darker it gets, the brighter our light will get, and the easier it will be for the lost to see it. And that's how I feel about it. So, good. You know. Good. That's very good. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna head on to bed and uh, hope you guys have a really good week this week. Thank you, Mister right. well, Allen. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks again for joining us. I'm gonna try to close this out while I still have some control over the board and see if I can actually get this thing to stop. This logging in and out and everything three or four times to get this stupid show to stop is really aggravating. But uh, anyway, Alan, we, we look forward to having you on again next week. So so thanks. So you're going to continue then in this, this theme. So we'll do like we did last one. We'll have part two and three and so on and so forth for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I'll let sure. you know for sure. Yeah. Cool. All right. That sounds good. Thanks again. Okay. And thank you, too, uh, for joining. But I'm going to go ahead and see if I can get this stupid thing to shut down while it's good. So I'm going to go ahead good and end night, it. Lori. Good night, Good night, Lori. you guys. All right. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.